Clay McDaniel building Ripple. Think of it like quick video and content creation for small businesses. Over 70,000 small businesses pay them. They're doing about 10 million bucks in ARR right now. They are flat year over year as they focused on getting some new products to market, iOS, Android, web apps, looking to really stomp on that growth uh, this year. Uh, paying careful attention to unit economics, got between about a four to six month payback period, spending anywhere between $200,000 and $400,000 a month on ads, depending on if CAC and LTV stuff holds out. Uh, But again, looking to scale with their team uh, over the next year. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Clay McDaniel. He's the CEO of a company called Ripple, a marketing software company used by millions of small businesses and independent marketers worldwide. He spends most of his career at the intersection of software, marketing, and emerging media and lives in Seattle and rides his bike in the rain. Clay, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, thanks right. a lot, Nate. Do you code in the rain too or no? Do you raise capital in the rain? <laughs> Uh, unfortunately when you're on a bike, you can't really talk by phone much. So mostly I'm in my head when I'm on a commute. Fair enough. All right. Talk to us about the company. What's Ripple do? And is it pure play SaaS? Uh, it is. Yeah. So we are a marketing software tool for small businesses. Um, really the focus of Ripple since the start has been helping small businesses create their digital content and get it published to all their social channels. Okay. When you say small business, I mean, give me, give me a sense here on average, what are they paying you per month? We're talking like 10 or 20 bucks. Yep. You got it. And, um, Unlike a lot of uh, SaaS tools that are out there, we focus on businesses that have 10 or fewer employees. And a meaningful part of our customer base is actually um, just single entrepreneurs, solo. Why have that target? Well, I mean, from the outset, really the mission of the company has been to kind of empower people that didn't otherwise have marketing knowledge or technical skills Mm -hmm. and just let the magic of software help them stand out online and on social media. So um, we figured the least served a piece of the market for small businesses were young entrepreneurs, people just starting out who didn't even have any team at all around them. And so we figured if we could build a tool that was beloved by them, it was a great value prop. You know, we kind of have a bit of a moat around ourselves and wouldn't get a lot of pressure from above from the bigger uh, software providers. And that's proven to be true. And who would you say are your bigger enterprise competitors? Well, I mean, Canva has really shown the way. Um, They've proven that you know, a, a simple, easy to use digital content creation tool can just absolutely explode in the market. Um, but they're not enterprise, right? No, no. I think talking about small, medium business tools, um, we look at the ones that have a focus on small businesses, but have managed to kind of creep up into mid and large size companies just through the beauty and the sort of elegance of their product. From an enterprise standpoint, I mean, honestly, we don't see very many. I mean, many of the companies that have built marketing automation tools, email platforms, they're not really pushing into our piece of the customer. No, no, no. Sorry. My, my question is, if someone starts on you guys and they get big, they start taking off 10, 30, 40, 50, 100 uh, okay. people on the, where do they graduate to? Yeah, gotcha. Um, well, I mean, I tend to think they graduate to the Adobe Creative Cloud for um, digital content and video creation, and then to kind of the larger email platform tools. Um, but one of the things that, um, even the website hosting companies like Squarespace and Wix and Weebly and these guys have shown is that, you know, they can scale as companies get bigger and bigger and provide that solution for those larger companies. Um, similarly, you know, we're coming out this year with tools that enable multi-person marketing teams to use Ripple. So, um, that's our goal is to kind of continue to build the product roadmap so that we scale as our customers find success. Okay. And put this on a roadmap for me. when did you launch the company? What year? Uh, company has been around about seven years, but in market for about four and a half is Ripple. Um, actually, the first incarnation of the company that uh, my predecessor, our founder, um, he brought out was uh, really a video creation and influencer engagement tool. And about four and a half, five years ago, found that the video creation and publishing capabilities were of greatest interest. 
pivoted the company, rebranded and renamed as Ripple. And since we've been in market with the iOS app, the Android app, and now as of last year, our web app, um, we've just found that being a much more broad based and kind of agnostic as to which small business vertical we serve, it's um, really driven the growth. When did you join the company? What year? I've been here about three and a half years, uh, came on as COO and um, uh, middle of last year um, was asked by the board to take on CEO. So did you come in in 2017 as COO as part of a funding round? Um, just after um, the second funding round had happened. And then about a year um, into my tenure, um, we did a third seed round, um, brought on um, uh, a little bit more funding from our existing VC and a whole range of the uh, previous investors out of the angel base and um, haven't needed to raise since. How much total have you guys raised? Uh, just shy of seven. Okay, just just shy of seven. Okay, so just to be clear, there wasn't a moment in 2017 where it was like, hey, we need capital, where they basically told the prior founder, or they told the founder, hey, we're happy to give you more capital, but we need Clay to come in the company as COO. No, it was actually 2016. So mid-2016, I came on. And I joined when the company was only about seven, eight people. Um, I had worked with the founder and the chairman of the board previously on a couple of startups. And um, they reached out because it was starting to kind of get air under its wings. And they knew that um, you know, as a business person, I like growing businesses and wanted to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess the reason I'm asking is I think there was a debt around back in 2014, which by the way, I love debt. It helps founders keep more equity. Uh, and then there was something, I mean, that, I, a line, I the, right. the Alliance of Angels, that wasn't a debt, that, that was not debt financing. No, no, no. So, um, you may be seeing old data falling through Crunchbase or something that, um, we actually bought the rights and the brand from a previous company that had folded early in the 2010s. Okay. And maybe a little bit of some legacy data, but we've only done, um, three rounds. We had a convertible round early on, um, that converted into equity, but, um, well, yeah, we that would have been listed essentially as debt, right? A convertible note. So, so was there $1.4 million like angel round early on convertible note? Yeah. So that was okay. back in 12, 13, something like this. Yeah. 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 I guess, I guess the re the reason I'm asking is because typically once you see that round of funding come in, like you are saying we're on the VC train. I mean, like you're in and, and, you know, fast forward two, three years when trilogy equity came in, that was, you know, around the time you joined in 2016, it looked like it was like a $2 million round. So, yep. so not a lot of, you know, you know, and there was like a little thing in between there. So you kind of go, Hey, what well, what's going on here? Was something flat? Was that a big down round? No, actually, that was the explosive period of our growth. Um, we've taken a non-traditional approach to financing. Um, you know, maybe it's because we're up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, maybe it's because we have such a significant and healthy list of angels. Um, maybe it's just because we were able to grow quickly and well, generate a lot of What would you say is non-traditional? Say again? What would you say is non-traditional? Uh, not kind of going for these like monster, big, impressive, like written up in TechCrunch rounds. Um, you know, we have wanted to keep um, the balance sheet and the board compact. We've wanted to keep the discipline around financial management uh, in place. And I think that's served as well because um, there have been periods where we've had dips, either CAC went up or LTV came down and we needed to be able to manage through that. And having, you know, a balance sheet that's adequate, but not um, bursting with cash, I think has been useful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fair enough. I'm all about managing dilution, obviously. Um, okay. So 2013 launch date, you come in three years after that 2016, some capitals raised, you launched the web iOS and Android apps, double down on video, focus on SMB. Where are you at today? How many customers are you serving? So we've got about 70,000 paying, um, in any given month, you know, quarter million, 300,000 plus in MAUs. Um, we've got that MailChimp model of how do you define, plus. sorry, how do you define an MAU? 
uh, folks that come into the app more than a couple times in a month. So one session alone doesn't do it for us. You know, we might just have somebody respond to a push notification or just be coming to check their stats. They really need to come in with intention. Um, so, um, but yeah, serving more than 70,000, um, paying subscribers today. Um, we're a little North of 10 million ARR, um, yeah. and, um, looking to kind of put the foot down and grow faster this year ahead. Where was, uh, if you're at about 10 million today, do you remember where you were, were at about a year ago? We've only been up by about three, 4% year over year from 18, 17 to 18. We had huge growth more than 200%. And so part of that was intentional. We kind of backed off the accelerator a little bit but on customer acquisition, we saw CAC creeping up early in the year. We wanted to get that under control, bring our CAC back down. We're entirely a direct response, marketing-driven uh, customer acquisition model, so no sales team at all. And that means when we see inefficiency creeping in on CAC, we kind of back off a little bit, um, go back and look at our approach. And uh, so for the year ahead, you know, we're looking to push harder on the revenue growth. Yeah. So just to be clear, like right now you're doing something like $830,000 a month. About a year ago, you were doing like 800,000 a month, something like that. That's a right about right on ballpark for gross sales. Okay. A lot of people do not have the discipline that you had to understand that their CAC has grown to a point that's not scalable and to pull back. So how did you know when that moment happened for you? Well, um, we are tracking monthly cohorts. We're tracking cohorts by customer acquisition channel and we run LTV CAC and ROAS, not only monthly, but like weekly, because we have a seven day trial period. Mm -hmm. So we just have so much discipline around the instrumentation of our CAC and the upper funnel that if it goes a few, you know, more than a few weeks with coming out of round where our LTV CAC ratio needs to be, that's where we'll back off and look at efficiency, look at the quality of our ad creative, look at the qualification of our customer acquisition, you know, we're running this stuff like week in and week out to make sure that we don't throw bad money after good. Yep. So, so how many people in a given month will sign up for a seven day free trial? Uh, it depends on our ad spend, right? Okay. Um, but, uh, between 7,500 and 15,000, depending on how well we're doing our organic, how efficient our ad spend is, et cetera. And, and what do you know you have to get the users to do activation wise in the seven days to drastically increase the likelihood they convert to paid? At least, three pieces of content created and posted. Interesting. Not we, just created, but also posted. Yeah. We can see when people save, but they don't post. And we've got integrations with eight of the different social media platforms. So when they save, but don't post, we see that there's like interest in the core value prop of content creation. But when they post, what they're really doing is they're giving their trust and faith to Ripple as an alternative to like Instagram or Facebook or one of the native apps yep. to go ahead and publish that content for them and then to tell them how it's doing. And that to us really signals like trust in the whole value prop, the whole arc of the kind of user experience. Yep. And then Clay, so same question going down the funnel, but how many new customers will you sign up each month typically? On a registration basis? No, no, like new paying customers. So let's say there's between oh, seven and 50. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got you. We convert about half. Well, that's um, a big, that's a massive conversion rate. 50%? Well, well, so yes, um, but obviously the conversion rate is much, much lower if you were to compare it just to free users who are registering. Mm -hmm. So um, on a free user conversion rate, we do about 20% of those, right? So in any given month, you know, we might get 60, 70, 80, 90,000 new registered users in. That's going to generate something like, you know, 10 to 15,000 less more depending on the month of folks trying the subscription. Mm -hmm. And then we keep about half of those. 
Okay, got it. So yeah, just repeat that. 80K new register. They give you an email. 10K actually try the seven-day trial. Do you require a credit card up front? Uh, in most cases. I mean, Apple and Google actually administer that for us, so we don't have to re-enter uh, the credit card info if they've got valid information in their accounts. Um, but for the folks we acquire through the web app, um, we go ahead and ask for that up front at the point of trial. Okay, so 10,000 do that. They try the seven-day subscription, and, and you're basically saying about 50% of those people post three pieces of content. They create it and post it, and about again, that leads to the conversion. So about 5,000 new customers per month on 80,000 registered. Yeah, sometimes Ish. more, sometimes less. Depends. And we've got a couple partner programs running, too, that just bring folks directly in. Um where they're at, we're bringing them straight into the subscription. So, so, and this is a tough question because I can tell you're extremely disciplined analytically. So there's going to be a lot of caveat you're going to want to answer this with, but looking across channel, generally speaking, to get a new 10 to $15 a month customer, what are you willing to spend to get that customer in terms of payback period? I mean, I'll tell you our CAC, we've been running somewhere between 35 and $45 for more than a year now. Okay. Um, and that's, that's CAC against, um, you know, first billing event, right? Customers that are actually converting, not to trialers, but folks that become um, billing customers for us. So that's not horrible. I mean, that's a three month payback period. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's on gross, right? So we got to account for the commissions. Apple and Google take a pretty healthy slug out of the first year. Um, so, you know, if you're t- like looking at it net, um, it's a few more months than that. But um, the thing for us is like, we just have always been about you know, running and growing this business in a way that's sustainable and not sort of burning off cash for the sake of acquisition if we don't think we can keep those folks. Mm-hmm. At least keep them long enough to make the LTV CAC work for so us. So what is gross revenue churn over the past 12 months? Uh, I mean, it's significant. Like, you know, on average, we only keep our customers across the whole base a little more than a year. Okay. So, so it's high, right? But that doesn't really provide the nuance of the cohorts, right? We've got a significant group of folks and we continue to sign up more and more on a proportional basis every day who are on the annual skew. So we keep them, you know, for several years. And we've even got folks that go back three, three and a half, four years of subscriber life for us back to the iOS days when that was the only app we had. So we lose a lot of folks up front. The the steepness of the curve in those first few months is quite high and we've got to improve that. Um, everything we're doing in the product roadmap is to bring that down. But once we keep somebody for four five, six months, we're pretty confident we're going to have a solid LTV out of those folks. Yeah. You'll have them for many, many years. Yeah. That, that, that obviously that's a pattern you've seen a lot of SaaS, but looking at a weighted average, again, the customers that were paying you a year ago, let's say they were paying total. Well, we know the number actually, you said about $800,000 per month. If you ignore new customer signups, what you're saying is about 700 grand of that 800,000 will disappear. You have to replace that each uh, year. It is about right. Yeah. It's about. Yeah. I mean, so this is the reason it's interesting to me is like most people will look at that and say it's a massive weakness. But if you can figure out knowing that your churn is high, if you can figure out how to keep CAC really low, you can still build a great business. Yeah. I mean, every VC we've ever spoken to specialty is enterprise. Just as like, wait a minute, those are monthly churn numbers. Like you got to be using annual, you know, that surely you mean annual, right? And no, we say, no, this is a fickle audience. They're extremely price sensitive. They have a very high bar on the value proposition and the standard they hold for what they're going to pay for and what they're not. Mm -hmm. But building a business around that, if you can do it in a way where you're LTV CAC, you hit the right numbers and the right ratio, and you really deeply understand this target audience, we believe there's just an enormous amount of goodwill there. You know, our ratings are like over 4, 4.2 on the app stores. We have incredible NPS. And so while it's a really challenging audience to manage that churn for, Look, MailChimp, Canva, many others have shown that if you do it great and you do it at scale, like it can become a beautiful business. What's your team size today? How many folks? 30. 30 people. Okay. How many engineers? Uh, it's about half. Okay. Include the uh, QA engineers. In Washington? 
everybody here. We've got a couple folks helping us on uh, overnight regression testing uh, out of the country, but um, all the FTEs are here in uh, Bellevue, Washington. Now, this price point's too cheap to have any full-time sales reps with quota, correct? I can't imagine this company ever having a salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, just uh, the math doesn't work. Now, what does work are like channel partnerships and things like that. So name, name a co- just paint that picture for us. What channel works really well for you? Yeah, I mean, this is really nascent for us. To be honest, this has been a direct response, direct marketing driven company from the start. Um, we have one meaningful small business a services company, a financial services company that I can't name, but which uh, will become public here in Q1, um, which has been helpful for us in the last year. It's kind of been helping us cut our teeth and learn how to run a partner program. And we just hired a couple folks here starting in February who are going to help us spin up um, partnerships. So direct response mainly, give me a sense of scale here. Last month, how would you spend total on, on direct ad spend? Uh, it varies because okay. we bring it up and down based on CAC efficiency, but um, never goes below about 200000 Okay. And what would be like the max be if the economics were holding that month? Uh, when we see LTV really pulling, really pulling through, which means our trial churn is looking good, our month one churn is looking good, um, we'll go up to 400000 half million or more. Okay. We've got a lot of flexibility on being able to ramp up and down spend, um, particularly on Facebook, but obviously in the display channels and in the long tail, um, just because our balance sheet's solid. And so because we drive that discipline weekly, not monthly or quarterly around how we're doing on the return, you know, we're pretty nimble on ramping up and down based on efficiency. Yeah. Any last raise was back in uh, 2017. Any plans to raise capital right now or no? Uh, we don't need it. Um, so you're, actually, you're break even then. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on the right side of that right now. And, you know, as we hire a few more folks who might step down to burning again, but, um, the intent here is to run this thing at break even or better and to continue to scale it, but at a faster rate this year. So a little bit more aggressive reinvestment rate and customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously again, churn is something that anyone's going to have to get over, whether it's a VC, a debt provider or an acquisition, like a buyer. But if someone came in and offered you something like, you know, three X on the company for, you know, sell it for 30 million bucks. I mean, would you guys take that deal? Well, it's a board decision <laughs> and I'm only one member of the board. Um, I think we're pretty um, optimistic. I think we have a pretty um, aggressive uh, sense for the depth of understanding we have for this target customer audience and a pretty optimistic view of where we're going to take the product this year. So I don't think 3X would do it for us. Are you married, Clay? I am. Let me ask this question differently. If you went home tonight and told your spouse you turned down a $30 million acquisition offer, do they kill you? Uh, No, and I would tell her that. (laughs) <laughs> um, we don't reckon that's a fair valuation at this point and um we're pretty bullish actually especially in light of what's going on with the investment marketplace and macroeconomic everything else i mean ironically there's a counter cyclical effect small there are more small businesses that come in the market when the economy gets tight entrepreneurship explodes and uh, our tam is huge um, we've got five years of slugging away having to be this really disciplined really grinded out uh, kind of a company. And so we reckon, um, you know, fulfill our product roadmap ambition that we should be, um, growing faster this year. Not yeah. slower. Somebody listening right now is going to say, yeah, he's totally right on the macroeconomics. The Canva MailChimp, they're doing great, but Canva MailChimp don't have 90% gross, gross revenue churn annually. They don't have to replace their whole base basically each year. And Oh, by the, by the way, clay, you know, you, you guys are flat year over year. There's no way you're worth three X. You would counter and say, listen, we got a great product roadmap for this year. Well, yeah, and we're not churning all that revenue on an absolute, like averages are averages, right? So um, a meaningful portion of our customer base, we're keeping a meaningful portion of our revenue. We lose a lot right away in those first few months of those billing periods through that high churn. But 
you know, more than half of our paying customer base we've had for longer than a year. Well, wait, just to be so, clear, sorry, gross revenue churn. Again, you take, you know, this, I don't, I'm preaching to the choir. You clearly know your metrics. You take your total customers a year ago who are paying 800 grand a month and you look at how many of them and what they're paying, then the dollars they are still paying today. If you have 90% churn, that means today they're paying about a hundred thousand dollars per month, that cohort, right? Yeah. I'm running out metrics for you that had to do with looking at month over month, looking at year over year. My point is like, we've got higher churn than what we want, but we have kept a meaningful portion of our customer base for longer than that. So the averages, you know, month over month, year over year are not going to line up perfectly but for that's us. Not a, sorry, that's not an average, like gross, gross revenue churn annually. That's not an average of anything. That's looking at the same customer base over the last 12 months. I don't have that for you. We okay. look at it month over month. So what we do is we run out our month over month and then we look at what that looks like on an annualized basis. Um, if I went and I took the exact paying customer base at the end of calendar year 2018 and looked at the end of calendar year 2019, I think it would be well north of 30% actually. So on a gross revenue basis, it's not as high as that on an annual year over year basis. Sorry, well north but, of 30%, what, sorry, uh, north of 30% retention? That we carried along, that we carried along, yeah. I see. So you think uh, gross revenue churn annually but, might be more something like 70%, not 90. We have, we have not lost on a year over year, calendar year over year basis as compared to the end of 2018 to 2019. We have not lost that much. But we pay the most attention to month over month, right? The... 75%, 80% of our customer base is on a monthly skew. When we're looking at that month over month churn and we see month over month churn creeping up anywhere north of 7% or so, that's where we start to get. Yeah, but really that's what the actual average is. Like that's actually not, you just told me, you see when you look at your retention curves a lot in months one and two, and then after they stay past four or five months, they could stay for years. So why would you look at, why would you split your cohorts? But, cohort? Yeah. Well, because we want to see where the cohort gets set at the start of the curve. We want to see that so that we can kind of run our LTV models and estimate what that behavior is likely to look like. Because as you know, the shape of the curve never really changes, but the position of it does Correct. depending on the qualification. of flat lines. Exactly. And so where that flat lines, like we're running that out and looking really with discipline month by month by month at those cohorts. And on a year over year basis, you know, we're keeping a healthy portion, losing a significant number through our churn as well. But if the economics are working straight away in those first few monthly events, then our payback period is going to work fine and we're doing well on cash. Yeah, very cool. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, I love Dalio's principles. Um, I just think that running a company is as much about your decision making and your philosophy as it is about the numbers. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Hmm. You, you can say none, by the way. I, you know, I honestly am learning every day on this job. And um, the folks that I tend to pay the most attention to that are running companies are like me, the folks that have come in second or third and have had to figure out can culture. Can you name one, though? Mm, I'll decline. I'll think on that for All right. you. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the company? SendGrid. Uh, we use an awful lot of Ripple for our social media activities, but uh, I love the flexibility of SendGrid for email. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Mm, I shoot for six. Okay. And Depends on what's going on with my kiddos and their homework. How many kids? Three. Wow. You Okay, busy guy. So married, three kiddos. And how old are you? Uh, 46. 46. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? That it's okay to take significant career risk early. Anything you do before you're about 30 or 35 is all about learning. 
Guys, there you have it. Clay McDaniel building Ripple. Think of it like quick video and content creation for small businesses. Over 70,000 small businesses pay them. They're doing about 10 million bucks in ARR right now. They are flat year over year as they focused on getting some new products to market, iOS, Android, web apps, looking to really stomp on that growth uh, this year. paying careful attention to unit economics, got between about a four to six month payback period, spending anywhere between $200,000 and $400,000 a month on ads, depending on if CAC and LTV stuff holds out. Uh, but again, looking to scale with their team uh, over the next year uh, up there in Washington. Clay, thanks for taking us to the top. Yeah, thanks. And I want to thank you, man. Everything you do for um, helping create transparency and a sense of community in this market is just incredible. So well, I mean, I should be yeah. I mean, I should be thanking you for playing ball and being vulnerable and sharing numbers. I mean, this is what people learn from. So thanks for playing ball and coming on. Yeah, you got it. Hey, appreciate the time. Have a good one.